is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Bette Lucas. I have five crazy kids, a full-time career in a mostly male industry, and I've been on a health journey where I've lost over 40 pounds. On this podcast, you will find encouragement for your own unique journey. You'll be provided tools to help you not just survive this life, but thrive in the areas of health, career, and family. So come live your big, bold life with me. Are you ready? I sure am. Hello, welcome to Living Your Big, Bold Life podcast. I am your host, Bette Lucas. Today, we have a guest that I know is going to truly inspire you on your health journey. Cindy is well known on YouTube and on Facebook as Ask Nurse Cindy. Her YouTube videos have had millions of views, and she leads a group on Facebook of over 60,000 members. Today, she is going to share her struggles with her own health journey and how those were made even more frustrating as a nurse and as someone who was supposed to be a health expert. Cindy is one of our first guests to really share about keto and how keto has been a solution for her and many of her family members. I know you are going to leave this episode informed, encouraged, and inspired on your journey. So if you are just someone who wants to understand a little bit more about what is keto, If you are someone who has struggled with a carb addiction or a sugar addiction, I think today's episode is truly one for you. Now, let's get to Ask Nurse Cindy. Cindy, good morning. It is so wonderful to have you here today. Thank you, Beth. It's just such an honor to be with you. Cindy, I always love to have our guests just have them start by telling our guests a little bit more about you, and then from there, really sharing a little bit about your health journey. So with no further ado, please share. So my name is Cindy. Online, I go by Ask Nurse Cindy, and I have been a nurse for 41 years. So I graduated from nursing school in 1978, passed my RN boards, and went to work in hospitals, as most of us do, who are registered nurses. And I worked in ICU and the operating room and recovery room and did that for 14 years. And so here I was a nurse and I'm taking care of critically ill patients or doing life-saving surgeries on them with my surgeons. And yet I personally was struggling tremendously with my health. Now that's odd. You'd think, you know, someone that's in healthcare would have it all together and know what to do. But unbeknownst to me, I was a carboholic. Now, what does that mean, at least in my definition? Because at the time, I didn't know. I just knew from my earliest memories, and I'm not kidding, from my earliest memories, I was always the fattest kid in class. I was always the chubby one. I was the one that was the butt of all of the jokes. And as that outsider, always looking in, to me, there were one of two choices. I could withdraw. Or I could be the class extrovert. I could be that person that was always laughing with them. Even when I was crying inside, I was the one that was always involved in student government and a leader. 
never really was asked out on a date. Back then, I graduated from high school in 1975. Being obese was unusual. Unfortunately, now our population, about 60% of us are either obese or morbidly obese. But back then, mm-hmm. if you look at some of the movies back from the 50s and 60s, there was always that one kid in the class, and that was me. So I had buried a lot of my hurt and pain under being active, being funny, being the smart one, being the one that people could go to when they wanted to talk about their problems. And so I, I was the that was me. And I went to nursing school and I excelled there because that's what you did because you had to, that was the pathway I took at least in order to cover up how devastated I was that I could not seem. I joined Weight Watchers for the first time at age 16. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I tried so many diets. I should like have some plaque outside of the doors or on some of the online programs. This site funded by Cindy. (laughs) (laughs) I think a few of us can relate to that one. I know, I know. Oh my gosh, you know, the eat less, move more. And while that works for some, it wasn't the right answer for me and for my metabolism. And it wasn't until four years ago. And uh, my highest weight, for those of you that want to know, I'm five foot three. I'd like to tell you that I'm just under tall. If I was a basketball player, height, my BMI would be great um, or would have been great. But five foot three, my highest weight was 305. Okay. Four years ago, I was a little bit over 240. And my sister, Debbie, who I tell people who follow me online, this journey is all her fault because she started calling me, talking to me about this low carb, back even four years ago, it wasn't really known as keto so much as it was known as low carb. And whenever she would get into it, because she'd started ahead of me, I would be like, because the very last thing I wanted to do was give up my breads, my sugars, my desserts, my donuts, my wrappers that I would sneak hide under the, you know, the mat of the car till I could get somewhere. I was a sneak eater. I was a carboholic. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I mean, I've taken care of people who are alcoholics and drug addicts as they're detoxing, as they're coming off. And I've seen the horrible withdrawal, but I never really knew that sugar for a certain set of the population could be addictive. Right. I had no idea. Finally, to get my sister to stop bugging me, she simply sent me an email and she's a text, excuse me, a hyperlink. And she said, Cindy, just watch this TED talk. And Those of you that go online know what a TED Talk is. And it was a doctor by the name of Dr. Sarah Hallberg. And I was teetering in. I was what they call pre-diabetic, which means that my hemoglobin A1C was not quite into the, you're a full-blown type 2 diabetic, but it was teetering there. And Dr. Hallberg on this TED Talk, she's in bright blue pants. Go Google her, Sarah Hallberg, H-A-L-L-B-E-R-G. The title of the TED Talk is, what if we've been treating type 2 diabetes all wrong? And I thought, oh. Well, I'll watch that because that's not about low carb. That's about that. You know? Right, right. You're like, <laughs> I'm a nurse. I'm a I nurse. need to know about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to make it even worse, my oldest daughter, when she was three, had chickenpox and had an autoimmune response to that and became type 1 diabetic at age 37 months. Oh. And I had a three month. So I thought I knew diabetes. I thought I knew about testing her blood sugar, don't let her go low, give her, you know, feed her every couple of hours because we don't want her to go low and have a seizure. So I watched this video and bet if you could have seen my face as I'm watching it, if I'd had a camera facing me, you would have seen that that rocked my world. 
Wow. I looked at that video and she wasn't talking to me, but she was talking to me. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh my God, this is me. The whole blood sugar up, blood sugar down, blood sugar up, blood sugar down. Think of a roller coaster. You get that excitement as the roller coaster is going to the top and you have that momentary like suspension. And then all of a sudden you, you just whoosh down and then you bottom out and then you come back up. That was how I was eating. For instance, nothing against Weight Watchers at all. But the point system, very much at the time that I was engaged with them, don't know what they're doing now, was points-based. And protein and fat had very, very high points, but I could have a, a rice cake with peanut. I could have high sugary but low protein treat. Yes. For, like for a low snack points. pack. Like a, I remember yeah. do, when I did it, the last time I was in it years ago, I could have like those 100 calorie snack packs and they were yes. really low points. And like one or two points, exactly. right? Exactly. But yes. if I had something that would be considered more low carb ish, it would have been really high points or I would have like gone to the really right. sugary salad dressing that was like no calorie or fake sugars, I guess, right, or whatever. Right, That's right. what I would have well, yeah. done, which, yep. you know, it's just so ironic. So anyway, it's so ironic. The treatment was actually my poison. Right. So what I was trying to do to follow current thought process was absolutely just feeding the addiction because let's say I eat a donut and my body's going to do what it needs to do. And that's make sure that the sugar I've consumed does not linger in my bloodstream because high elevation of our glucose in our bloodstream or blood sugar, if you will, it causes all sorts of inflammation in the bloodstream. And so the body's prime directive is to keep me alive. And so insulin, which is the escort needed to get sugar down out of the bloodstream, squirts out of the pancreas, goes into the bloodstream and says, eh, 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 too much sugar here. We got to get you out of here. And so it would do what it was meant to do. So my blood sugar was, would go up. That's the going up on the roller coaster. I'd have that little bit of crest where my blood sugar is high and I'm feeling like, oh, this is awesome. And my body's going, no, 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 it's too high. Insulin escorts it out and my blood sugar would drop. And that drop made me feel cranky. I, I'd get a little sweaty and I'd feel like, just like an addict that needs another hit. Mm-hmm. And I would say, oh God, I got to eat. I got to have some. So I always had food in drawers, in my pocket, in my purse, in the console of my car. And literally it probably would be an hour. I was eating every hour and a half, two hours. And it was not lack of willpower. It was my body's hormonal response and my blood sugar dropping. And that's why I couldn't maintain. Every year I was putting on a pound or two or 10 and then I'd go, oh no. And I'd go low calorie and I'd, I'd force myself, but willpower will always give in to hormonal drive, meaning that that insulin's a hormone and it would drive my blood sugar down and I could power through for a while, but because I was eating more carbs because the points were low or the calories were low. Mm -hmm. The hormonal up and down of that roller coaster was always there. So I watched Dr. Hallberg I'm like, oh my God, it's hormonal. It released the guilt of my obesity, the shame. It released the shame. Wow. I want to stop you right there because I will tell you that in my health journey, when I had successes and people would see it, it was kind of like, good job. Wow. You're so awesome. And and then the people that were struggling were like, I just almost like negative self-talk to themselves. Mm -hmm. Like I, I... And 
what has been such the light bulb moment, I think, for so many of us, and you included, is exactly what you hit on there, is that, sure, there are times that we have to work hard in life, but that so many of us on our health journey, it wasn't from lack of trying. Mm -mm. And it really goes back to the hormones and your hormonal Mm -hmm. response. And I just think that Mm -hmm. is... So for all you listeners, if you've been told, hey, you just need to work harder, you just need to try harder, I think this is your moment right now to say, no, maybe I just had the wrong tools in my tool belt, right? Maybe just Mm -hmm. the wrong tools in my tool belt. It hasn't been, you haven't been working hard. So anyways, keep going. No, No. I had a, a time when I was heavier and my husband and I were walking somewhere and it, there were very few people that were heavier than me, mm-hmm. uh, but we happened to walk by a lady and we got a distance away and he leaned over and he says, I just, I wonder why she just doesn't care. Mm-hmm. And I spun around and I tell you, it's a good thing. I didn't have a big stick in my hand. Right. And I, I looked at him and I said, do you realize that she cares every moment of every day? She just can't figure it out. She can't figure out why this area of her life or his area, if it was a guy, but so many of us women, we got hormones anyway, mm-hmm. uh, monthly that, that men don't have to deal with the surges and ups and downs. So I know, cause I, I knew from the moment I got out of bed and tried to find something that would fit. And then I would, it, it got to a point. I just would really basically look from my neck up. So it released that Cindy, you're so weak. Yes, no, Cindy, your hormonal response is so strong to carbohydrates. And as I started to listen four years ago, there wasn't the huge preponderance of low-carb and keto gurus out there. But I was fortunate enough to um, listen to Dr. Eric Westman from Duke. Very solid clinician, very strong researcher, has been doing low-carb lifestyle with his patients for, he has an obesity clinic at Duke, where he endorses and teaches, don't eat the sugars. I don't care if you do drive through at McDonald's and you get the dollar burger and throw the bun away, mm-hmm. avoid the sugars. And so I started slowly. I basically, deta- I went cold turkey mm-hmm. <laughs> because for me, you don't tell an alcoholic who drinks two 12 packs a day. All right. Now tomorrow I want you to drink instead of 24, just drink 22 beers. And then the day after that, eat, drink 20 and then drink, you know, mm-hmm. Any self-help group, 12-step group is going to say you have to go cold turkey and you have to realize it is a strong addiction. You know, it's something. Anyway, so I went cold turkey and for three days I just ate meat and fat and I wanted to shoot everyone around me. I just literally, I started on a Friday. I sat in the bedroom and I wouldn't barely come out because I just was withdrawing. <laughs> bet. Yes. I bet. Honestly, bet. I was like, I, Clarence would, open, my husband's name is Clarence. He'd open the door and say, Hey, babe. I'd say, shut the door. It's <laughs> <laughs> a classic withdrawal in the depths of that. When I just wanted to go do the drive through at Krispy Kreme four times. So they wouldn't know it was me. Like they wouldn't recognize it's the same car coming around. I would just take a big piece of chicken and just chew on it or go scramble a couple of eggs. And after three days, there was like this crossover what I didn't realize is that I was a hybrid car and we're all hybrid cars. As a species, we would not have survived if during, you know, this whole thing about eat every couple of hours to keep your metabolism going, baloney, mm-hmm. baloney, well, not baloney, that's a processed meat, but you know what I mean. Uh, 
<laughs> of course, I'd rather you have bologna than, than have sugar, you know, have a donut, but that's a whole nother talk. I did not realize that this transition. So in times of prior to fast food, prior to cars, prior to even crops, we had to look for our food. And in order to be able to do that successfully, our body had to have a way to keep us functioning where there was no food, short famines, longer famines, just a couple of days before you killed game or found that those nuts or tubers that you could eat. And that's called using your body's stored fat. Who knew? All these years in nursing, the only thing I knew about ketosis was that if you're diabetic and you go into ketoacidosis, you can die because I have a diabetic daughter. She's type one. And so I knew that. But I didn't know that it's a normal human function when you don't have access to food to be able to use your stored fuel. Mm -hmm. Stored fuel equals fat, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so bet if I had a dollar for every single fat cell of my body, I'd be a multi-billionaire. Mm -hmm. I would have been. I, right now, I'm probably just a, a millionaire. You know? but, <laughs> but our body, its prime directive is to keep me alive. And so when I had access to food before you know, the ability to farm and heart, you know, harvest things and have livestock and pens. I had to store every single calorie that was not mandatory for that moment survival because the body didn't know when it was going to eat again. Well, the same metabolic processes are there now. And so when I yanked away all that sugar and was cranky, I was in withdrawal, had headaches, I was irritable. I wasn't sleeping well. I was depressed. All I thought about was, oh, I need my fix. Just like someone that's a cocaine addict or a, they're an alcoholic. I was a carboholic. And when I wasn't getting my regular hit, my body said, oh, no, this is very scary and I must find my hit. So I just sat in the room all weekend and my husband, bless his heart, he'd come in. How you doing? Get away from me. <laughs> Leave me alone. Bring me another piece of fried chicken. You know what I mean? <laughs> but what happened is my body had forgotten that I have an intrinsic metabolic pathway to keep me alive. And that metabolic pathway is using the savings account of my stored calories fat on my chinny chin chin and on my hippie hip hips. And it said, Oh, you want me to use that stuff? Oh, okay. That takes about three days. Mm -hmm. It takes you about three days to go from being a sugar burner to being your own fat burner. And when you cross over, when the body says, dang, let me dust this process off. Let me, let me, that's right. That's my backup plan. And once it started to realize you've got plenty of food, it's just stored on your hips. It's stored around your ankles. When it figured that out, there was so much ability for it to have all the energy it needed. And it pulls the fat that you've stored. That's glucose that's been converted into fat. Fat doesn't make you fat. Sugar makes you fat. Makes me fat at least. So suddenly it was like this it's like walking out of a foggy room. You know, if you're in some sort of a dance hall and they've got the fog machines going and you step outside and it's a crisp, glorious night. That was my crossover. Right. And I was like, I woke up like on day four and I was like, I feel amazing. And I did because my body had abundance of energy because it had an abundance of fat stores. And so I became zealous about my ability to begin to lose weight on the scales because I was using the fat that I had saved. 
And I wasn't zealous so far as trying to preach it to people. I was zealous as a nurse to understand why I felt so good. So I started listening to other podcasts and I, I listened to Dr. Eric Westman. I listened to some of the other early low carb adopters that were out there, Mike Mutzel from High Intensity Health and all these other people. And of course, in the past four years, it's just boom, it's just like exploded with people out on the internet. But because I'm a nurse, I don't listen to the hype. I look at the science. I look at what's happening to our metabolic pathways. And I became convinced I was a carboholic. I actually have a t-shirt bet you would die laughing. It says recovering carboholic. <laughs> because, because I responded to sugar the way that an alcoholic responds to drink. And let, let me sort of lay that out for just a minute for your listeners. Any addiction does not happen right away. When you're young and you have your first beer, for example, or your first drink, you get an immediate buzz. And you feel good because that alcohol has changed the endorphin processing, meaning the feel-good hormones in your brain. Because remember, this is all hormone-driven. It's not a lack of willpower. It's the hormones that you have to control. And after a while, it takes two beers to get the same high. And after that, it takes three. And it's called exposure and tolerance. The more I'm exposed to something, the more I build up a tolerance. So when I was young, if you've ever given a young child one Tootsie Pop, one small donut, they are binging off the walls for a long time. They're not exposed to it. They get this rush of hormones. They get all this energy. They burn it off. Over time, through my lifetime, because my family, this is how they dealt with emotions. You're happy. Let's celebrate and have fill in the blank cake, donuts, whatever. You're sad. Let's comfort. Mm. You've had a good day. You've had a bad day. You're bored go have something to eat. Mm -hmm. Before we go to the grocery store, my mom, love her, bless her heart. Let's have something to eat because we don't want to get hungry while we're shopping for food. Mm -hmm. And so my exposure was repetitive and, and, and no one, you don't know what you don't know. Parents do the best they can. My mom's parents grew up in the depression where food was literally, families went without food. And so to have a chubby baby was to have an outward expression that you had, you could take care of your family. Mm -hmm. So that's how she grew up. And so love was feeding and that was passed on to us. And once I discovered that my own personal threshold for glucose was extremely low, mm -hmm. I started asking her Cindy. I didn't really start asking her Cindy. I sort of started itself. I did a short video about my freedom because people will say to me all the time. And I've said to my sister for weeks, I couldn't give up my bread. I can't give up my donuts. This is no, no, no. Orange juice and oatmeal with brown sugar and raisins. That's what I do for breakfast. But once you realize that that's part of how you justify an addiction and because addictions are great fun until it starts to impact your life. Alcoholics can go for years and it's only until it impacts their family or their job that they realize the severity with us as carboholics, and that's just my term, and I'm not telling that your listeners that that's their problem. But for me, my addiction was limiting me. It was limiting me in my career growth. I couldn't play with the grandkids like I wanted to. I couldn't bend over and tie my shoes. I couldn't. Here's a big thing. If you sneak eat, as I did, I would stop and buy three or four things at the convenience store on the way to work and buy a couple more on the way home. You open up any drawer throughout my home and my office, 
there was food hidden in there, not out in plain sight. And I typically ate in private. Yes. That's addictive behavior. Like people drink in private or they'll, they'll, if you're a gambler, you'll online gambling or you try to hide it and it comes a crossover point. And here's the crazy thing. I hated how I felt. I hated how I looked. I thought, Cindy, you're pretty smart and you're, you're a pretty good mom and wife and friend, yet you have zero willpower when it comes to your weight. And I didn't identify it with a certain food. Mm-hmm. Identified it that I was a failure in life because I couldn't control how I looked. And I saw the when I would walk by people, and I saw the the eye roll or the oh, you know, as I walked by, I heard it. I, we're not stupid; we can hear and see. But when I went into ketosis, when I had dropped my carbohydrate intake enough, i.e., stop your alcohol enough that you get through the DTs or the detox. And that clarity came into my life. One day I walked out of Valero convenience store. I had to pay for my gas inside because the machine was broken. And I realized I had not bought anything. Not only had I not purchased something to eat on the way home and then hide the wrapper, I didn't even think about it. Wow. And I was like, yeah. And that's the very, very first video I did. I went on Facebook Live. I just did a video to my tiny little group of 20 friends about I've been set free. And by the time I got home, I started getting all of these friend requests and people were sharing my video. And I called my daughter, Rachel, who had taught me Facebook. And I said, you know, I was 59 at the time. I didn't know Facebook. I was like, I don't understand. Who are these people that want to be my friend? So she went into my Facebook page and she looked at it and she goes, mom, people are sharing your video. You've struck a chord. I don't know these people. I don't know. <laughs> and she said, we need to start your Facebook page. So it became Asner Cindy. And for four years, I've chronicled the ups and downs of my journey, the starts and stops. And I don't mean that I've gone off keto, but I have had numerous stalls. Now, a stall just means that the weight on your scales is not reflecting what's actually happening in your body. And people will say, Cindy, that's so restrictive. I can't believe how you look, but I can't believe you've gone X number of months or years without eating sugar. Isn't that just so restrictive? And I'm like, no. And I try to get them to look at me in the eyes, especially if they have a weight problem too. And I said, it has set me free. I was miserable. I was bound. I couldn't get on the floor. I couldn't tie my shoelaces without huffing and puffing. I, I couldn't wear pretty clothes. I wore clothes that fit. And I'd say, well, that's not too bad. It fits. I'll buy that. I can pick and choose now. And I used to always keep my fat clothes sizes in the back of the closet. I'm chunking them as I go through them. I've gone from an 18 woman down to an eight petite. That's freedom. That's not being restricted. That's being set free because I eat really delicious, wonderful food. I make lasagna. And instead of noodles, I use thin sliced turkey deli meat, not the peppered or the smoked, but and that's my noodles. And I make wonderful desserts and scones and cheesecake, but I, I do it with high protein and with fat and very minimal carbs. So we celebrate on certain occasions or I'll get a big fatty rib. I tell guys, this is the best diet or way of eating for any man. Steak, eggs, bacon, avocados, butter. 
Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's amazing. I make my own cream of chicken soup with heavy whipping cream and, and oh, and you make these sauces and I make this wonderful poblano garlic cream sauce to go over our chicken and stuff. I've been set free in my size and my mental clarity and my energy and my ability to know that I'm going to be that feisty 90-year-old great-grandmother that just is jumping on trampolines. And I'm doing it with joy. It's not a burden. When I was counting calories or being told, don't eat this and move more, eat less, I felt restricted then. I don't feel restricted now. And it has been amazing. It has been something that I, I hope people who've struggled Give it a try. Give it a couple of weeks, you know, or I'll have people say, you know, Cindy, people will message me and they'll say, Cindy, I was doing well. I felt good. But then the scale stopped moving. So I quit. Now I've gained it all back. And I'm like, do you realize that staying at the same weight for those of us that have had a, a long term weight problem is actually victory? It is most definitely to, to not yo-yo up and down is actually victory. My longest stall, people will say, well, you don't understand. I've been stalled for two months. And I'm like, uh, ask me how long my longest stall was. And I was like, how long is your longest stall? I said, 18 months. And they're like, what? I said, yep. I hit like 68, 70 pounds and I stayed there for a year and a half. I didn't cheat, but I was nibbling here and there and, and I wasn't doing any type of movement. People say, well, do you spend hours a day in the gym? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I don't. That it's been the best four years of my life. Uh, I just love that you, I think that's when you know you've hit something special and you've been freed is when you're like, I want to share this and I need to tell at least somebody else who may feel the same way because for so long you felt like, you had nothing, you know, you were like so frustrated and now you're mm -hmm. like, I've been set free and I need to share this. And I love that you started sharing your story and saying, I don't know if you're like this, but look at what I found. Look, yes. I'm, you know, and mm -hmm. I love that. So you started Nurse Cindy with a few mm -hmm. friends. Mm -hmm. Tell us how that has changed today. What does Ask Nurse Cindy look like today? It's hilarious. So I actually didn't start it to share with friends. I started it so these strangers that wanted to be my friend would have a place to go that they couldn't <laughs> see the birthday parties and the, you know, and so I specifically don't use my last name, you know, because I, it's just Ask Nurse Cindy. I work full time as a nurse. I don't monetize any of this. It's just my journey. Yeah. And so I started it and it was hilarious because we did a video in my sister's front yard about, I guess I'd been about three months into the journey, I'd lost maybe 15 or 20 pounds. And one of the things I try to do, because I'm very clinically focused on what I do in wound care for my job, it requires a lot of understanding of how the body works. I had just never connected carbohydrates with my obesity problem and all my aches and pains and joint issues and headaches and all that. So we did this thing about how the fat cells that we're born with, for the most part, just get bigger and bigger and bigger we don't necessarily produce new fat cells. They just get really big. Think of a big water balloon, right? A water balloon that's filled with water. Well, as you start to lose weight, the body will start to pull those saved calories, you know, our, our savings account, they'll start to pull the fatty acids out of there. The cell around the fat cell is the cell wall. The membrane's like 
dang, I like being this size. I'm used to being this size. What are you doing? What's happening? What's happening? I don't want to shrink. Mm -hmm. And so the body will pull water into that fat cell to maintain the size. And that's when you're going through, you know, you're in ketosis or you know, you're not eating more than X number of grams of carbs a day. I keep mine at 20 or less total carbs per day. I know I haven't cheated. Why are the scales not moving? Well, that's because you're retaining water. And then all of a sudden you'll have what's called a whoosh. And I read this in a journal and not about the water balloon. And it talked about how then the fat cell, one will be filled 50% with fat, 50% with water. One will be 80, 20. And all of a sudden the, the fat cell says, dang, she ain't kidding. And it'll collapse in on itself. It'll change shape and it pushes the water out. And you'll have what they call the whoosh. Uh -huh. And you'll, you'll urinate a lot. And the next day your scales will be down two pounds, three pounds, five pounds, whatever. And so I did a video in my sister's front yard. And this is what really propelled ask nurse Cindy, because I was trying to explain to people the water balloon effect. I took the study, the article, and I turned it into something I hoped would help people. So I have a bowl of water balloons and they have varying sizes of water in them and some air. So we did it. And I said, it at the end, if you don't give up, you're going to, and I t turn around and I, I throw the water balloon at, at a tree and it splatters. And I talk about the whoosh effect. Well, Lord have mercy, that thing has over a million and a half views. Hilarious bet, because it wasn't ever meant to be viral. You right. Know? And most viral videos aren't meant to be viral. They just they hit someone's funny bone. And that took off. So it, it has become hilarious. So how does it impact my day-to-day? -day? A, number one, it has held me accountable. Mm -hmm. People notice when I don't post. They're like, how are you? I'm not good about putting things on YouTube that are current. I, I have a YouTube channel. I just don't take the time to transfer it over because of my job full time. And I'm grandmother to 10 and all that good stuff. But what's funny is by knowing that I can watch, look at my old videos and see the difference in my body, so will others. And I never want to be a stumbling block. I never want to be that person that just disappears and then you see them later and they, so it's held me accountable. Number two, it's caused me to look deeper into the science because while weight loss is fine, if you understand the science of what sugar does to inflame every protein in your body, it inflames the protein lining your vessel walls. It causes vessel changes. It predisposes you to diabetes. I posted a video yesterday by a doctor out of Australia and the title of it is Blinded by Sugar. And he's an eye surgeon and he talks about the devastating effects of retinopathy and blindness in his diabetic patients. And that if they would just control their sugar intake, they could avoid a lot of this. So I try to look at the science. People are starting to recognize me. Yesterday I had to have, a, I have some carpal tunnel, but my nurse surgeon just wanted to make sure that my, nothing else going on in my cervical area. So I had MRI yesterday. And I get the MRI done and the tech who'd been so nice to me. She, I live in San Antonio. I, I get up and she looks at me and she looks at my chart. She goes, where do you go by? Cynthia? And I said, oh, no, I go by Cindy. And she goes, and you're a nurse, right? You mentioned that because their little keychain that you locked up your stuff was a little bone, a little fake yeah. bone. And I said, yes. And she goes, the whole time you're in that MRI machine, I'm looking at your chart and I'm looking over at you and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I think I'm scanning S nurse Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> so about four months ago, I'm walking through before the Corona, you know, before the travel breakdown, I traveled the world, basically mostly US, but European and China as well and Japan lecturing on wound care. And I was walking through DFW and someone tapped me on the shoulder. I turned around. It was a flight attendant. And I said, I thought I dropped something right or left yeah. it on the plane. I said, yes, um, what can I do? And she said, did I, did I leave something on the plane? She goes, 
no, no, no. I saw you in line at Starbucks getting your coffee and I kept looking at you and I opened up my Facebook and she goes, is there any way that you're asking her, Cindy? And I'm like, no, bet this is hilarious because I'm, I'm just me. I'm not, yeah, anybody, right. you know, and so I said, yes. And she goes, oh, my, you know, and she starts. Now, trust me, I do the same thing when I see Dr. Eric Westman. I do the same thing when I run into Mike Mutzel or or you name any of these big names that I just adore. Dr. Robert Sivas, you, any of those people that I adore and learn from. I'm like a little groupie when I see them. My sister caught pictures of me talking to Dr. Westman when I first met him at a conference. I look like a starstruck teenager. I'm like, (laughs) 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 oh, to have those engines reversed is hilarious. So it's kept me accountable. It's caused me to look deeper into the science. I'm embarrassed when people recognize me, but also thrilled because I hope it's causing them to at least understand that there is an addictive behavior in our bodies when we are not just exposed to like a grapefruit or a, a, I don't care, you name something that grows out of the ground. Mm -hmm. It's when we eat the things that are in cellophane that the food industry, it's an industry and it's actually a science and they have these food chemists and they understand what they call hyper palatable foods, meaning that when it touches my taste buds and the receptors in my mouth send these signals immediately to my brain, it goes back to my paleolithic time when we would find sweet things on occasion and we would say, must consume everything I can get my hands on of this food because it will be stored as fat so I can survive the winter. And they've taken that intrinsic survival mechanism and turned it into something that makes you want more and more and more. So these hyper palatable foods, HPFs, I'm like WTF about the, the <laughs> HPF. <laughs> no, it is a science and they look for what's called the bliss point. And it's that point where it's just salty enough or just savory enough or just sugary enough or a combination that drives you to buy more. So it is very much incumbent upon us or important to us to realize the behavior that we're encountering in reaction to these hyperpalatable foods that have been processed to force your hormones, not your willpower. It's your hormones that are impacted and hormones drive behavior. And so if we can understand that, that's what I, I want to do with Esner Cindy or with being interviewed by wonderful people like you. I was so tickled when you reached out to me because I'm like, really? She knows me? That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey friends, it's Beth. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out, and I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guest. There's so much of your story that is so powerful, but in combination with 
your background and the science. It's just, it's such a wham, bam. And then your wonderful personality and way of describing it to people. And I can see why the water balloon video had a million and more than a million views because that's a question I get a lot is bet. Why am I stalled? And Mm -hmm. they don't understand, you know, how we retain water and the Mm -hmm. role of that. And, and then they just stopped doing whatever they were doing Mm -hmm. that was actually working. And so I Mm -hmm. think that that's so powerful, but I'm so honored to have you here today. Mm -hmm. So Cindy, now I would love for you to share your perspective on COVID, especially what you are seeing as a health professional out there and why a low-carb, low-inflammatory lifestyle like keto is not just important in our everyday, but maybe even more important right now. Right, especially right now and, and during any flu season, but especially with COVID. COVID is interesting in that it's a virus. Now, a virus is non-living. It actually isn't alive like a bacteria is alive. But what it does is when it gets into the host and in our instance, it went from bats to humans. It gets into the host, a living creature. It gets into your cells and it takes over. It like hijacks your cells and it causes this massive inflammation. And in response to an invader, our body has this amazing thing called our immune response, which you already mentioned. Those are our soldiers that protect us from death. And so they go to work and their job is to overcome and kill the virus. Well, what happens is if we're already in an inflamed state, meaning our soldiers are already being deployed to handle day-to-day inflammation from our sugar addiction is one thing. That inflammation that sugar sets up in our body, it's like a pot of simmering water that you have on the back burner, right? All it does is a little bit of added heat, i.e. COVID, i.e. any other respiratory virus or you name it, and suddenly it's boiling. So I go from semi-inflamed if I'm a carboholic or obese, which means I'm likely type 2 diabetic, which means I likely have hypertension. Those are called comorbid conditions. Morbid meaning not good. It's not mortal. You're not mortality. It hasn't killed you yet. But these people with comorbid conditions who are exposed to COVID, they end up with this massive immune response because it doesn't take much to trigger the soldiers to go into, you know, DEFCON 1 where they're like, oh my God. And what's called cytokines are released. And these little proteins, and I know it's probably too much depth, but these proteins are released and it's called a cytokine storm. And it overwhelms the immune system and they end up in the ICU on the ventilator or they end up with severe respiratory problems because the body is already triggered. And that's why our very young are not as impacted because they're not inflamed chronically. They don't haven't had decades of eating sugar. So what I tell people is that even even right now, even today, the day this is being recorded or the day it's being listened to, if you drop those hyperpalatable foods and you take the pot off the back burner, mm-hmm. you may go from simmering to still pretty hot, but over the next week, you'll go down to warm and then you'll go down to lukewarm and then you'll get to room temperature. You have just kept your soldiers in readiness, not already deployed. Does that make sense? Wow. Yes, totally. And I think... That is such an important message right now. And I think a lot of people will really have that light bulb moment like, oh, I didn't even think of it that way. Mm -hmm. And that also explains why we're seeing certain 
you know, populations struggle more mm-hmm. when they are exposed to COVID or, or mm-hmm. into the hospital with COVID. There is definitely a specific population that is struggling more than others. Yes, there is. And, and there's things that you can do. The hyperpalatable foods. The, right now, bet this isn't about weight. Right. This is about reducing inflammation. It's actually the thing throughout all of it, but the only thing we really see normally pre-COVID is the scales reflect it. But as you drop these hyperpalatable foods, these highly processed carbohydrates from your diet and you reduce the inflammation, you literally sort of let your troops rest up, your immune system, your soldiers rest up. So they're ready, not just for COVID, for the common cold, for the seasonal flu, the influenza A. It has that reserve. And The other thing I would encourage everyone to do is try to get some sunlight or take a vitamin D supplement, a D3 supplement, Mm -hmm. because it is such an immune modulator. If you could even cut back by 50% your hyperpalatable foods, just go to things that don't have a label on them. Eat the fruits and vegetables and the meats. uh, Shop the outer perimeter of the store. If you could do that right now, you're going to reduce your simmering pot of water dramatically quickly. And if you can keep it there, you're going to get to the point that you have the ability to quickly fight it off because the people that get really, really sick are the obese, hypertensive, type 2, autoimmune patients. And if you look at the research, so much of that is triggered. You know, there's multiple things, but one of the main triggers is sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be so helpful, I think, to so many listeners here today. So as a grandmother of 10 and having obviously your own children, you know, something I struggle with. So I have five children, Cindy, 10 and under. And, you know, I was talking to a fellow mom the other day and I want to be that mom that encourages healthy food, builds our plate around a protein. Mm -hmm. I really want to be a good example for our children. At the same time, I notice some people that when you don't give them something, then they just want it more. And so I'm always trying to find that balance. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to a mom like me who doesn't want her child to be, you know, addicted to sugar and doesn't want her child to have the struggles that so many of us have had? What do you tell them or tell your children and your grandchildren how to best serve them, you know, for their future? It's such an important question and one that I have a lot of mother guilt about and even grandmother guilt because I've only been doing this lifestyle for four years and you don't know what you don't know. So first off, be gentle with yourself. Right. You don't know what you don't know. And on the other hand, and this is going to maybe be a little stern, you're the adult. They don't have the money to go out and buy the whatever honey nut Cheerios or something. They will eat there's this one movie, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's called The Magic Pill. And it was very, you can find it on YouTube. It's amazing documentary on this one autistic child that really only had a very limited number of foods she would eat. And so they explained the science of how this might help her brain function differently if they dropped the carbs. She probably went five days without, she just kept throwing the food around the the new food, you know, the Mm protein-based food. But after about the fifth day, think about three to five days to get into ketosis. Her communication level went up. Her calmness went way up. She started loving the food they were giving her. So there's got to be some point that you say, we don't keep that in this house. There's got to be a point because if it's there, not only is it going to be very quick and easy to feed them, there's this thing in, in addiction modeling called decision fatigue. And if those Doritos or chips are there, 
and you pass by them 20 times a day in and out of the, it's more likely you're going to grab a handful of them. And then it sets off that whole cascade. It's like a alcoholic having a job in a bar. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to work very often. So there are some great keto friendly snacks. My grandchildren love Duke's sausages. I get them at Costco. They're very low carb. They're like little tiny hot dogs. They're soft. They're not real hard like jerky. They love cheese sticks. You can make these amazing chicken nuggets that you coat with pork rinds and either bake or put in the air fryer. So there's, you have to invest either a lot of money in keto friendly food. You know, if you're going to buy the prepackaged keto foods, you invest some time in the kitchen, scrambled eggs and omelet. Minimally get the gluten-free bread. If you want them to have a sandwich, buy gluten-free bread because gluten is such a trigger for inflammation or go online and find some of these. My daughter, Rachel D, R-A-C-H-A-E-L-D-E-E. She has a website where she has what she calls her stupid easy bread. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's stupid easy. And I make these stupid easy waffles and it's a block of cream cheese, five eggs and three quarters of a cup of almond flour with a half a teaspoon of baking powder. It's stupid easy. You put it in your blender, you blend, you, cream cheese needs to be soft. You blend, you let it sit for 10 minutes and you pour it into those little dash mini waffles, right? Yep, yep. I'll do a double batch, 10 eggs, two blocks of cream cheese, cup and a half of almond flour, a whole teaspoon of baking powder. You let it sit for about 10 minutes to thicken up. And then I pour it into these little, I have three of them and I have this. And in about 30 minutes, I can make 30 little waffles. My grandkids with butter and the sugar-free syrup. So you have to understand they don't need to be pristine. They don't need to be carnivore, but we can make decisions and give them foods that they enjoy. And so I'll make up a whole batch. My daughter, Lauren, will freeze them. And then she can just pull them out and pop them in the toaster in the morning like a Lego. A Lego and a Lego is a block. Please don't feed your kids Legos, but an (laughs) Ego. (laughs) Please don't feed them. My grandchildren have learned to love pork rinds whether it's the barbecue. So there's ways that you can do that. There's those little Parmesan crisps you can buy at, but it has to be that you, if we enable that behavior because we don't want to face their irritation for a period of time, then it won't change. And I, and I would maybe change one or two things at a time. Right. right. Not everything all at once for children. Right. And say, no, I don't have any Captain Crunch, but I do have these, these waffles. Would you like to have a waffle with some syrup or peanut butter on it? You know, mm-hmm. so it's one of the things I say, progress over perfection. When we try to be perfect, we're going to fail. Make a little bit of progress. Drop the white bread, make the, the stupid easy. We call them waffle bread. We call You can use them as waffle. They make amazing sandwiches. My dad lives with us. He's 87. And he has the, a waffle bread sandwich for lunch or salad almost every day. The other thing, I don't know if you've ever used the keto chow shakes. They're these dry powders that you make. You mix up with heavy whipping cream and water and you can adjust your fat. My grandchildren think they're drinking a milkshake because I'll put them in the freezer till, and then I shake them up and they think they're having like a milkshake. So there's ways that you can work around it. It's called keto chow, K-E-T-O-C-H-O-W. I know the people that make it. They're the most amazing. It's made in Utah and, and they have like 18 flavors, lemon meringue, chocolate peanut butter, chocolate, snickerdoodle. I make my meatloaf with their tomato basil powder. It's a protein powder. You know, it's like a shake. So there's ways you can do it. So probably way too much information for what you wanted to know, but But I think it's really helpful to get specific because, and I really enjoyed your point about that kids at first, just like adults, we will fight it. 
But I also think when we're farther along in that process, we start liking foods that maybe we didn't like before or we didn't think we enjoyed. Like I've noticed as through my health journey, you know, I didn't love eggs as much. Well, now I like eggs a lot more. And I think that your body, once you kind of get away from the addiction component, Mm -hmm. you start choosing foods that you know will serve you better and liking foods that you know will feel better. This has all been extremely helpful. So to end today, Cindy, what is the advice that you would like to give that person who is just really feeling stuck right now? And you had mentioned that you were in a stall for 18 months. What is the advice that you would like to leave them with today? A mm, couple things. Progress over perfection. Mm-hmm. Be kind to yourself. But at the same time, be honest with yourself. Have you started to nibble? Has there been some carb creep? Are you eating only when hungry? I had to examine all of those things. In fact, if you go to the Keto Chow YouTube channel, you can see a lecture I did last year at their conference where I talked about stalls. It's a whole like 45 minute lecture on what to do if you've stalled. I even sang a song to the audience about because <laughs> I was so depressed. It was like a country music song, you know, and, uh, <laughs> but I would leave them with this. No matter where you're at, you don't have to stay there. And even if you stay there, you're not getting worse. If you just don't gain the weight and give your body time because your body, remember your body's prime directive is stay alive. And if you've lost 20 or 30 pounds, 10 or 20% of your weight, your body's like, hey, 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 is there a famine? I'm going to like really just slow down because I need to stay alive. Be kind, be patient. It's a journey. Don't be like the kid that says, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Enjoy the scenery. Enjoy that your clothes are looser. Enjoy that you are less tired. And don't give up. You're worth not giving up. You're worth taking the time to figure this out or at least staying there. You know, I mean, give away your old clothes. <laughs> don't give, don't give yourself that. permission to, to have the size that you can go into. And just know that if I can do it, that, and, and it's going to make me cry. If I can do it, so can they. 59 years, I was always the heaviest person around. And oh. I'm not. People don't look at me and say she's anorexic, but they don't they're worth it. Don't give up. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Cindy, and to all our listeners, don't give up. Progress over perfection. Be kind. And I really was hit by your comments today about that staying in the same place in a lot of ways is still progress because so many of us rebounded back. I'm going to remember that. So Cindy, if people want to find you and connect with you and hear more of your just approachable and powerful videos, how do they do that? Thank you for asking. Ask Nurse Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y, on Facebook is where I do most of my stuff. I don't monetize. If I talk about a product, it's because I actually use it and pay for it. And ask Nurse Cindy on YouTube, but I haven't updated that. In fact, I had one lady, I saw a comment that says, has something happened to Esther Cindy? She hasn't been on YouTube in two years. It's like, I have like probably 50 videos I just need to upload to YouTube. But go to Facebook, Esther Cindy. You don't have to ask permission to join. Just follow me and uh, follow my journey and know that truly go way back four years and see where I was. 
and then you know that if you don't give up, you're going to win. Well, it has been such an honor to have you here. Thanks, don't give up and we know you're going to win. Cindy, you have a wonderful day and thank you for your time. My pleasure. And listeners, in closing, I want to remind you that if you have struggled on your health journey, please do not think you haven't tried hard enough. Please do not think that something is wrong with you. I want you to hear this. You just may have had the wrong tools for your tool belt. Yes, some of us need to make our health more of a priority. But truly, many of us have been using tools for years that haven't worked. And that is my goal for this podcast, that in every episode, we provide you some unique and bold and new ideas and new tools And maybe one of these works for you. Or maybe it's a combination of these that work for you. So let's go live boldly, my friends. See you next time. Thank you for listening today. For more motivation on living boldly, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, BetLucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.